Couldn't think of anyone better to go ask the question. So I called Nick Saban and said, can I ask you some questions? And I said, you've hired a lot of assistant coaches. When you hire an assistant coach, what do you look for? University of Alabama's Colorado's College of Business, it's Bama Means Business, a podcast that reveals amazing stories from those people who both inspire and make a difference in our community. I'm Cole Stevens, and on the show today, Dana Duckworth. This is our second episode of our three-part series with Dana, in which we cover her early professional career and how she got back into coaching gymnastics. I hope you enjoy. So now I'm in pharmaceuticals, I have a rural territory, and I'm selling incredible products, Norbask, Lipitor, Viagra, Zithromax, Zyrtec. And then eventually Chantix for smoking cessation. Okay. But the coolest part of being a part of Pfizer Pharmaceuticals back in those days is that you went up to Westchester, Rye, New York, an area up there, and you were trained by the best. The training facilities there, the sales training that you went into, the relationship building with the regional managers, the men and women that were over developing us as salespeople. It's a Fortune 100 company. I was around some of the best of the best, and we were all learning the business. A lot of these big companies, especially nowadays, have this training program built in. So you might have an education before coming in, but hey, got to learn our way. One of the first companies I remember learning doing this extremely well was GE, especially in the 80s, Jack Welch era. You're going into this program already having an MBA, already having plenty of experience where your your counterparts might not. Do you feel like you grew even more because of that? Oh, there is no doubt because now I'm having to learn the mechanism of actions of drugs. I'm having to learn how a, you know, how the body metabolizes half-lives. I'm learning about how it impacts the side effects. I'm learning about how to read a clinical study. So I didn't have the medical background. I had the sales background, but being an athlete, you know, you know your body really well and you learn about athletic just how to maximize performance, which has to do with nutrition, sleep, rest, recovery, stress. I mean, all those, all those things. Right. So now I'm learning about high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. I'm learning about, you know, so many different aspects of the human body based on the anatomy and biology and the way that the drugs are metabolized through the body. So that was a whole nother chapter in my life and a whole nother learning. Um, and I love being a lifelong learner. You know, and I think it's so important is to be listening to these podcasts, reading, immersing yourself in maybe areas that you've never thought about because you never know what you're going to learn. And it's really interesting how everything can be very interconnected. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. When I started an MIS for my MBA, okay. I, I realized I didn't really want to go on the programming route, but you learn about flow and systems. Well, now you're taking an operations management course and you're learning about how to maximize efficiencies and errors and how to make things run smoothly. Well, that's systems, right? Right. Then you have the ability to work with people and people as HR and those soft skills of being able to be a good communicator, learning how to listen. I just can't say enough about no matter what chapter or job or opportunity that you have right now is don't look at it as I have to do this. Look at it as I get to do this. Mm. And then 
even my daughter right now is working at Nukes and she is on behind the cash register. And I've encouraged her to really like watch people, watch how people treat you. How do you treat people? Yeah. Look at the back of the house. How are they running things? How is the flow of how they build the food and build the salad and how they get out to the customer, the cleanup side, how you use things that are no longer disposables. Mm -hmm. How do we help the environment? Are you doing, th I mean, like, so you think about this and people will, oh, I'm just doing this job. I'm only a cash register, I'm only, you know, behind the cash register, so-and-so or, or what have you. Oh no, mm -hmm. everything you do can be a valuable lesson in life, in learning, observing, in listening and growth. So I don't think you're standing still no matter what, if you're looking for those opportunities. Mm -hmm. So that's how I looked at, okay, I'm the director of marketing and automotive company. Now I'm going to be with Pfizer pharmaceuticals. And I had the most incredible district manager that just poured into us and he came from the military. So he's very structured. That was different than anything I had ever experienced, but I also learned so many attributes of how to be successful in the workplace. And I will just mention this before I go on to while I was with Pfizer, I was a volunteer coach. Okay. While I was at the MBA school, I was a volunteer coach, all at the University of Alabama. I would have never gotten anywhere without other people. Mm. So it starts with my parents, right? I have them to thank. It starts with Sarah and David Patterson. I have them to thank who were my predecessors before I eventually took over the program, right? I have the, the gentleman and... You know, I, the name is escaping me. I want to say it was Jennings Bryant or Bryant Jennings, but that man told me, go do the $6 an hour internship at AMX Corporation, mm -hmm. go for it. And then I had an aunt and uncle that helped me, right? And right. then I got on my own. Then I came back to MBA school and the professors and Connie Chambers and Lonnie and Dulick and Cashman. And I'm just thinking about all these amazing professors and I missed a bunch of them, I know, but they all poured into me gave me opportunities, mm. not to mention just my experience as being an athlete at Alabama and the athletic director, Hootie Ingram, when I was an athlete and then being here and under Mal Moore. Oh my goodness. Incredible. And then Bill Battle and then Greg Byrne. It's just like, I had all of these incredible people just that were, I was around that I was associating with. Mm. And so you're learning all the time. You're growing all the time. And I know it kind of went off track, but every chapter you divide the opera, the, you, you can start to devise what you learn from it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really happy in pharmaceuticals. I have had two or three promotions. I've won a lot of trips. Right. I'm a six figure income. I'm doing really well. And Sarah said, would you like to be our assistant coach? Because my husband would like to be the volunteer coach. And I said to my husband, I wrote a pros and cons list down. And I said, honey, I'm going to take a $40,000 pay cut. I'm going to be on the road all the time. I'm going to be at the beck and call of whatever my head coach needs me to do. You know, my schedule from January to April is set. Yep. There is no spring break for us as a family. There's no ski trips. I mean, it's like, this is what I do. And he goes, are you going to love what you do? I said, I am. And he said, we'll find a way. So I became the assistant coach at Alabama, my alma mater. And just like I did with my other parts of my career, I gave 100% every day. And so I'm just 
going along and I'm learning the NCAA rules and I'm building relationships with families and bringing recruits in and working under incredible mentorship and Sarah and David. And, uh, it was just, it was just an awesome run. So on July 14th, 2014, mm-hmm. we had a staff meeting. Okay. Sarah came in. Now she had always had a pad of paper or an iPad with her and she only had a coffee cup. And ding, ding, I'm like, there's something going on here. She was looking down, her thumb was circling her coffee cup, and she looks up and she goes, I went to the doctor. And I thought, oh my goodness, something terrible has happened. And David Patterson has done an unbelievable, like, he is a walking testimony. He had cancer. He survived cancer. He's thriving. He had back surgeries. He became a volunteer coach. He's a woodworker. He was an example of just absolute resilience. Mm. Okay. Sarah is a trailblazer in the coming up in title nine in a world where we had to fight for everything was a trailblazer in women's sports and all those types of those people infused into my life. Right. So wouldn't be anywhere right. with all those people. So I am crying because I have no idea what's about to come out of her mouth next. And then she explains that she had waited too long. She needed to have double knee replacements and she needed to do it now, which would keep her out for about two years. And so I'm like, oh, she'll be back. No, but, and she just said in the best interest of our program to be able to, you know, not hurt us in recruiting, I am going to to retire. Out of the blue. Out of the blue. No, not even a heads up to the assistant coach. It was a moment and so I had an interview at 5.30 p.m. in Bill Battle's basement that night. Okay. And at 10.30 p.m., I got a phone call asking to be the next head coach of my alma mater. This might be a very pointed question, so excuse it if it comes off that way. You're an assistant coach. But a lot of times, assistant coaches don't get promoted to a head coach position because they find some outsider to come in to fill that role or they see someone outside the gates that might look prettier, shinier for this role. Why do you think they went with you? One of my friends said this to me, Dana, life is a full-time interview. Everything matters. So when you look at what type of person was I, my character, my work ethic as a student athlete, that spoke for itself. And I just focused on being present. And then the Byproduct was great success. Two-time national champion on the balance, being part of national championship team, SEC championship teams, right? Mm-hmm. Then I came to MBA school and I loved being at, on campus once again, developing relationships, hopefully mentoring, modeling, and, and living out the values of Alabama gymnastics. Mm-hmm. And as a student, I volunteered nine years of my life and expected nothing other than to be a part of the program and was so honored and blessed to be able to do that. And I knew how our system worked. Mm-hmm. It's a legacy of champions, a tradition of excellence, right. which I've been a part of and hopefully emulated. And then I became an assistant coach at a time when developing relationships and it was early recruiting. So I'm recruiting eighth and ninth graders. Yes. Wait, wait, take that. Eighth and ninth graders yes. for gymnastics. In early recruiting days. Wow. Mm-hmm. That, that seems very intense because obviously, for lack of a better term, these girls, young women are still finding themselves in end of middle school, going to high school. 
they're already thinking about college or having college coaches coming to them at that point. Absolutely. And we can have a whole nother podcast about the NCAA early recruiting that took place. Okay. And so when they instituted going back to late recruiting, where you could not even communicate until June 15th of their rising junior year. So after their sophomore year, okay. it became a game changer. That is amazing. Obviously, we're going to talk about that because I'm fascinated with you know NCAA sports and whatnot. But so you get this promotion. You get promoted at 10 p.m. at night. You're getting told, hey, you're going to be the next Alabama head coach. And July 15th, 2014, went in that day, prepared for a press conference. And at 5 o'clock that night or 4.30 that day, we did a press conference. Were you ready? Oh, you know, I'm going to say this. When you have never been a head coach before, you don't know what you don't know until you sit in the chair. Right. And once you sit in the chair, then you you learn and you grow. And I love, I'm a big John Maxwell fan and his cycle of success is we are tested. We fail. We learn, we grow, we re-enter. We are tested. Mm -hmm. We learn, we grow, we are re-enter. Re and so the hardships, the mistakes, the successes, the development, the processes, all that, you evolve. And when you take over after a legacy, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of, boy, you have big shoes to fill. Boy, you have big shoes to fill. And you know that going right. in. And you really have to put your blinders on in the sense of there's a lot of noise and distraction. And the better you can focus in on coaching and recruiting and focusing on what can make your team successful, then all the other things will take form. And when you're a part of a program like the University of Alabama, when you have Crimson Tide production being able to do things, you have Crimson Tide Foundation raising money, you've got your marketing departments, you've got your ticketing department, you've got your alumni relations, donor relations, you have all the other peripherals, then you have to go to the inner beings and makings of your program. Right. And so it's the people that directly impact those athletes. So now you have sports science, behavioral science. You know, that is the sports psychology. That is the uh, sports medicine aspect. That's how we take care of our athletes. Mm -hmm. And then you have, of course, the athleticism piece, the development of your programming and how you're going to help a team become successful to peak at the right time. And gymnastics is very nuanced. Mm -hmm. It's not a sport you can take three months off. You really can't. Right? It is a very nuance. So it's taking the time to build the engine in the summer and then coming in and doing the basics and then getting to parts and then getting to full routines and then creating the full product and then practicing being under pressure. That all happens over a 12 to 18 week process while you're also a student and you're going to classes and you're managing your time. And it's a lot. Okay. I can imagine that. I mean, Having to manage that all, especially being inside the program, having firsthand experience, I think gave you sort of a leg up on other people because, I mean, you did it yourself. You you know it from the inside before you even have to worry about managing these girls, um, young women, especially developing their mental side. I think that's something a lot of people don't talk about or didn't talk about a lot previously, but now is coming more to the spotlight is when you have an incredible pressure on you, especially from such a young age, what do you do if you fail? If you happen to mess up a tuck or fall off the balance beam, how, how do you get back up and how do you become better? Well, with anything, it's a mindset. 
Everything is about a mindset. And so how are you filling your mind? What are what's your internal voice? Do you have a strong voice or a weak voice? Are you beating yourself up when you make a mistake or are you saying, okay, let's learn from this. And how do I get better? How do I uh, prepare? How do I get better sleep? Do I feel better? Do I get more rest? How am I managing my stress? It's there's so many aspects to mental health. It's very real. And you have to be able to take good care of yourself. You have to be able to know when you have trials and tribulations, as you will have trials and tribulations, how are you going to respond to it? You know, and how have you prepared your mind to know that you may have those negative thoughts? You may have doubts, fears. That is natural. So is that really a bad thing? Or can we look at that as a gift if you use it to say, okay, I'm going to separate my emotion from all of this. I'm going to evaluate why am I feeling a certain way? And then I'm going to embrace because at the end of the day, not only in sports, but in your work life, you wake up, you have a choice, right side of the bed, left side of the bed. Are you going to wake up happy, sad? Are you going to be frustrated? Are you going to be tender? Are you going to be Angry or you can be mad. I think you you have events that happen, right? And then you have your response to it. And the mindset of if everything is about, I'm going to use this tool, this loss, this win as growth, then I'm going to get stronger versus break down my strength. And then the outcome is so related. So I know that there's a lot out there about E plus R equals O, you know, events in life, your response equals the outcomes. I believe that the emotions we have is all part of our mental health, right? And when I do have this emotion, how low do I get? You know, I've seen highs and lows and I feel like the more you can kind of stay in the middle, knowing that you're going to have to live life days and you're going to have good or bad days, then it's a choice, right? It's a choice. And if I only have 80% today, can I give 100% of that 80%? Do I have that in me? You do. You just have to decide what that looks like. Exactly. And so that aspect of mindset and mental toughness, I'm on this mental toughness forum coming up um, through Ben Newman Companies, which is going to be amazing. There's unbelievable. It's free, by the way. Okay. And it's mentaltoughnessforum.com mentaltoughnessforum.com. You should go check it out. And it's all of these men and women in all varieties of business, sport, failures, wins, talking about what mental toughness is. And quite frankly, I was asked that question. When do you feel like you experienced your first tough mental day? And you know that I can go back to when I was a tiny tot two, because I was too tall to be a tiny tot one. <laughs> yeah. I was told, listen to this, Cole, if I had a dollar for every time I was too tall to be a gymnast, I'd have a million in the bank right now. So just for everyone listening, how tall is an average gymnast across the board? Five, two to four. I was five, seven. So extremely taller than a lot of the average yep. competition or girls you were alongside. Yes. That. Yes. So people would tell you, you can't be a gymnast. You're, you're too tall. Aren't you tall to be a gymnast? I got that all the time. But see, I do believe that that was a gift, right? It was a gift because even at the rare age of five, when I was not allowed to be in the tiny tot group, I had to be in the tiny tot two group. That's when I remember the first time I was hit with disappointment, which I mentally turned into strength because 
okay, I was just faced with resilience, right? right? And resilience and being coachable and having the right attitude in your how you treat people, how you're treated, how you respond to that, and how you have unconditional gratitude regardless of circumstance. Mm. Okay, so when I define true mental toughness, that is truly how I define it. And that's how I take it into the workplace, into gymnastics, into my coaching is where's my attitude? Where's my effort? How am I treating others? And can I have unconditional gratitude regardless of circumstance? Mm. And if I can do those things, I am moving forward. I think there's a lot of great points you made there. And I I definitely recommend everyone to go back and listen to that again, just to soak in all those words of wisdom. But going towards your first year of being a head coach out of the blue, if we're being honest, what were your expectations of yourself? Did you set any for it? Or was it more, hey, I'm going to be open to whatever comes my way. But you've been involved so much with the gymnastics program before. You sort of had a, a feel for what was going on. It's still a whirlwind because you have to really focus on what's most important. And I was not great at it at first. I thought I had to make sure, number one, number one, student athletes. Okay. So I had a senior class that had three years under, you know, the different dynamic of our coaching staff. And now I'm stepping in. And when you're an assistant coach and a task manager, you're a little bit of a buffer, You know, you're someone they can come to and they can pour their heart out to and they can do things with because of being in that particular position. Always, of course, um, with the respect of how does it impact our program, right? And then all of a sudden you're the head coach. And are you going to be the heavy? And are you setting the standard? And what does that look like? But yet you've been a different role for three years. So I took it very seriously that I couldn't just go from being the assistant coach and having the role that I had to all of a sudden just being hard and heavy from there. But you do need discipline. Okay. You do need structure. You do need standards of what's accepted and what's not accepted in order to make the program continue to thrive. And that's what made Alabama Gymnastics so successful for so many years was the tradition of excellence and excellence demands things that are higher and harder than the average day. And are you going to live that way? Are you going to be an example of what being an Alabama gymnast represents? And so I I was navigating the team in having gone from assistant to head coach. I was navigating the presence of the SEC network going live and now we're on television every week, which had never existed before. So that was a whole nother element of being on Friday Night Heights, the best thing that ever happened to college gymnastics and ESPN and being able to be basically relevant in our world of sports. I got to be a part of something of that nature. And then of course you've got managing the academic piece. Now you have great assistants. I had great assistant coaches and they had their roles. And uh, first thing I had to do this, you'll love this story. When I became a head coach, I had to hire a replacement for me. Because right. I had been an assistant. Right, you fill your own shoes. Couldn't think of anyone better to go ask the question. So I called Nick Saban and said, can I ask you some questions? And I said, you've hired a lot of assistant coaches. When you hire an assistant coach, what do you look for? And he plain made it simple. You hire people that have different strengths than you. Mm. You don't hire the, the person that has the same strengths as you. So you can work on your strengths and they can be working on where they fill in your weaknesses. And then all of a sudden you're stronger together. Is that not brilliant and simple? It is. Yeah. 
Yeah. Second question I asked him was, what was the biggest mistake you made going from an assistant coach to a head coach? Trying to do it all, he said. And that's what I was doing. Oh my goodness. I thought I had to have my hands on every single aspect of every single thing. And I realized I'm stretching myself too thin. This isn't going to make us successful. And ultimately, let's face it. Yes, we are developing our student athletes and we are focused on the human being first, on the development of the person first through sport. But as a head coach, you're also expected to win. You're expected to be successful and you want to. We're you don't get to this level without being competitive right. and want to excel and want to beat everybody and be successful. So you're managing both those things. So I would say with each year of being a head coach, I was wiser. I was smarter. That's Dana Duckworth, former gymnastics head coach from the University of Alabama. And thanks so much for listening to the show today. If you're not a subscriber, please do subscribe to your podcast wherever you get yours. And of course, check out our website at culverhouse.ua.edu to learn more about the Culverhouse College business and what it has to offer. And as always, roll tide.